Hey, St. John, this is Pastor Adam, and I am sitting down again with uh, Chris Camille as we continue into our Lenten reading virtual book group of Henry Nouwen's The Return of the Prodigal Son. Chris, how are you doing? I'm good. Good. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, uh, with this first Sunday in Lent, we have read through the first, what, 23, 25 pages of Nouwen's book. Uh, that gets us through the parable, the introduction, and the prologue. But before we get into Nowen's text, let's start with a fun fact. Okay. Right, Nowen is over in France for a time. He's back in Toronto. Uh, have you ever been to Toronto? I have not. No. No. I went when I was a kid, way back when we, we went over from Michigan to Toronto and took a train from Windsor, I oh, think. Oh, fun. Yeah, and then we went to go see the Phantom. Of the As a opera. family or school trip? Yeah, it was just a family, yeah. So it was, uh, nice. yep, yep, went and saw the Phantom of the Opera. I saw Phantom of the Opera, I don't know what year it was, early 90s in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Okay. Loved it, loved it. Did yeah. you like it? Yeah, yeah. You like musicals? Some. Okay. Yep. <laughs> That's a good one. It is a good one. All right, well, we're getting into Nouwen's text, and we're going to be dealing with the parable of the prodigal son all of Lent. We're going to be dealing with it through Nouwen's book. Our Wednesday services are going to look at the parable, and my hope is by approaching the parable in a variety of ways through a variety of uh, of Christians and lenses uh, that will grow in our appreciation of what Jesus is revealing uh, in these words and parable to us. And I thought maybe a good sort of grounding for us is to talk about parables in general. But how about this? Here are a couple of um, pointers about parables. They do communicate symbolically. And so they're prone to being misread, misinterpreted, mm. overread, and overinterpreted. Mm. And so it just means caution is going to be needed here. We're going to trust in the Spirit's guidance as we read the parables. I think of them um, and we could pull out some quotes from church fathers are just, you know, the good Samaritan, and they go nuts with uh, what's the money the Samaritan uses, and this, and that, and what's the in, and all of it. Be careful with overdoing or underdoing the details in the mm-hmm. parable. I think that's the first thing. Second, when we seek to understand Jesus' parables, we need to be open to looking at the small and the large details. <laughs> so, right. it's, so it's uh, kind of turning back on itself. Uh, the Spirit's going to guide us in this. And Nouwen is going to uh, lead us in prayer, if you will, through uh, the prodigal son. Another thing to think about with the parables is just to focus on the actual story that is told. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking for gaps and plot holes uh, can be a messy thing. So, for instance, like uh, you think of the parable of the buried treasure. Mm-hmm. We're not really worried about the business ethics of the guy of finding the treasure, burying okay. it. Now I'm going to buy the field. Don't go down that route. Right. Look at the great price that was paid for that field. Um, and uh, so that's, you don't want to insert something into the text. Right. And then the other piece is to think of the context of when the parable was said. And so in this case, Jesus is the middle of Luke and he's talking to whom? Pharisees. Yeah, he's talking to Pharisees. And, and in this part of Luke, it, it's fun to read as he's heading towards Jerusalem. It's like the audience just switches back and forth between Pharisees and disciples and Pharisees and disciples. And now his attention is on the Pharisees and you get this string of three parables of lost sheep, lost coin, and the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. So uh, all this is to say the details matter. Don't overdo the details. Spirit's going to guide us. And 
think about the setting of the parable itself in the middle of Luke. And of course, most importantly, look for Jesus. Right. And, and now one's going to definitely point us to it. Uh, any thought or consideration with some of those things, Chris? No, I think, I mean, I think you hit all of them. I think what I, what comes to mind too, and you touched on this is just the cultural context that sometimes parables, I think the parables in scripture are confusing to us because we forget that there's a context there that has to do with things that made sense to them culturally that maybe don't make sense to us culturally because we're in America and that is not how we function or those are not um, idioms that we're familiar with or whatever. And so just thinking about the fact that he was speaking to a specific people who had specific beliefs and specific practices that we don't necessarily have. So Yeah. And at the same time, these these words are read across all culture and right. language and how do we hear them in our setting too? Um, right. Yeah, that's that's part of the fun of this too. Yeah, you get to wrestle. It's a fun tension of just holding all of that at the same time. Let's uh, look at the reading itself because we don't get a whole lot of interpretation from now and yet of the parable, Mm-mm. but we're getting some backstory. We find out about his time at the Arch uh, over in France and over in Toronto as he's moving back and forth. And at some point he comes across the Rembrandt piece, but it's not the official painting. It's a, it's a poster. Yeah. A poster was on the back of a, on the back of a door in an office, I think. Right. He's having a conversation and his eye just kind of keeps being drawn to this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, and we begin that journey of, of now and, and Rembrandt. Uh, Chris, uh, one of the things I like about this book is seeing now and find a sort of kinship with Rembrandt mm-hmm. or just a, a mutual commiseration like he gets me and i get him mm-hmm. and, and you start to see some of the, that there uh, what, what stands out to you about that i think you get a history of rembrandt as a person and a painter and an artist that um that now and manages to weave into his telling of the story and into his reflection on it that i think is helpful just putting um if you think of like putting flesh on something like having this knowledge about Rembrandt and seeing the, um, the kind of the fellowship that now and feels with him helps us, I think as readers and viewers to understand the painting in other ways, which I think then deepen our understanding too of the parable. So I just, I like the way he weaves that in there. Yeah. And even just if, if we kind of consider, you know, Jesus tells this parable first century Judea, uh, Rembrandt is in the 1600s, now in uh, the late 1900s, and here we are in, in the 2020s. We're all encountering this parable, and there's a sort of mutualness across centuries. Right. And there's something really beautiful about how God's Word has this timeless quality to it. And uh, the the realness and, and the flesh and blood of all of it is is really powerful. Well, I think it helps to remember, like, listening to you now, and or I say listening, I hear it. When I listen to him talk about um, Rembrandt, you're reminded that people are people are people, and they've always been the same way throughout time. The, the things that people struggle with are universal, and they've been struggling with those things from the beginning of, you know, living outside the garden. So that pulls you in. It doesn't matter when Rembrandt lived or painted, and it doesn't matter um, when Nowen wrote this. It's just relevant still. In the reading, it also will become a sort of 
memoir or even a little biography of near the end of Rembrandt's life. I mean, this this Prodigal Son piece is one of his last pieces yeah. that he actually completes. Mm -hmm. And so you'll get some other discussion of Rembrandt. You'll see some uh, pictures in your book of some of his other work near the end. And so you get a little bit of a memoir bio, and that's kind of the people are people are people mm -hmm. um, in how now one finds a resonance there. Um, and our hope too, and in, in why I bring all this up is uh, now in Rembrandt, um, right, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to be able to speak into each other's lives here, uh, these internal truths of God. All right, I think another thing to bring up is the idea of encountering a piece of art. I mean, I like now in stories in an office, he's in a meeting, and he is not paying attention, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, it's, there's the poster of it on the back of a door, and he's just enchanted by it, and it's a poster. Mm-hmm. Um, why can art, I don't know, just art does this sort of yeah. thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, man, I could talk a long time about this. I'll have to censor myself, but I think that what is beautiful about that to me is that it is the reminder that God can and does use all kinds of means to get our attention and to, um, speak to us about something. And I think that the fact that Nowen was literally distracted by this painting, uh, and, you know, in the version of a poster is interesting to me because I don't think that that was just him, you know, like, oh, I'm just not paying attention. I mean, I feel like the Lord was was reaching out to him, was showing him something in that moment. And, you know, the book that we have is the product of that encounter that he had through seeing a poster. And so I just I love to remember that God can use all kinds of things and loves. I think God loves to use art, too speak to us so yeah i think even just you know historically our churches delight in art and beauty and adorn their sanctuaries and adorn their spaces i mean we have a print of uh, rembrandt's piece out in the narthex mm -hmm. and we want to invite that sort of spiritual reflection and devotion and i mean how the arts are these sort of windows into truth mm -hmm. and they they point us uh, to the the real true the real good the real beautiful that we we have in jesus mm-hmm and uh, Rembrandt's painting, reprinted on a poster, begins this sort of journey for now and right, and uh, and and directs him back to these beautiful words of Christ about uh, you know the son who has returned. Yeah. Now it's not just uh, France; it's not just Toronto, but Nowen is traveling a lot in these few pages because he does end up eventually in Saint Petersburg. He's just not contented with the poster itself. Mm -hmm. He actually wants to go and see the real thing. Yeah. Uh, what stuck out to you about that journey uh, to Russia and eventually to the, the museum? Well, first I was a little bit envious, if I'm honest, because I went to um, a Monet uh, exhibit once and I was so looking forward to seeing the paintings up close, but we were sort of shuffled through like cattle and I didn't even really get a chance to stand and look at the paintings it was more like, just keep moving. And there was just this massive crowd of people. And it ended up being very disappointing. So I was envious that now I actually went and got to sit in front of this painting and contemplate it and spend time with it. And I think that his, um, his desire to see it in person is fascinating to me that he, it wasn't, the poster wasn't good enough. I love that, that he was like, no, I need to see the brush strokes. I want to see the details of this up close. And he wanted to have an encounter with the painting. Um, 
that the poster just couldn't offer him. And I, I just think that was interesting. You, you remind me of a uh, Ferris Bueller's day off when they, <laughs> when they look at that painting with, you know, it's made with all the dots. Oh, yeah. Right. And they're just alone in the museum. Yeah. No, that's not how it is. It's I, not I, I, how it is. No. And just to be able to, to sit and to contemplate. And I like how he gets in trouble with the guard. Oh, I love right? that. Story. Touching the chair. I'm like, I mean, I mean, this is what Soviet era time, like don't get in trouble. Right. Well, like they're still like that at the national gallery. I got shooed away from a painting at the national gallery because I got too close to the line on the floor. And I was like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> and again, this is just, why art is wonderful because it, it does literally draw us yeah. in. Um, our God as creator has made us as his human creatures to be creative, to explore the depths of, of truth and meaning and to display this in, in writing, in visual, in song. And they're all sort of echoes of just the greater truth that's there. And I want to get right up close and see the brush strokes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and what was it now? And also just wanted the right time of day. Yeah. When the light was a certain way and that was like the way to see the the image itself. Right. Well, when you look at the painting, there are pockets of it that are very dark and I could see how even, you know, when I look at the print that's included with the book, I feel some of that same compulsion of like, I want to see the actual painting because there are pieces of this painting that just don't translate well to being copied and printed. And so I, I imagine that when you're sitting in front of it in person and the light is hitting it at different angles, you are able to see pieces of the painting that you, we might actually be missing a little bit in just looking at these copies. So I, I see the draw for wanting to go and like spend time. I don't know if this is a a worthwhile tangent or not, but it just makes me think about uh, the scriptures themselves. And there's a sort of desire. I want to get back to the original or the, Mm. you know, the, the Greek and the Hebrew and, um, and not to lose sight of like, when we read the English translation, whichever translation is in, in worship, you know, and say this is the word of the Lord, we can say with great confidence, thanks be to God, and that God speaks through that translation. Um, but I can get that sort of um, desire of running back to the original, but even then, um, even that is still points to the, right. to the Christ actually said the parable itself. Right. And that's kind of the idea is not to get caught up in, in the art or the words of scripture, but rather in, the flesh and blood Jesus who's who's here for us. Right. And that's um, that's what Nowen's kind of searching for. Mm-hmm. So Nowen travels to Russia. He's at the museum. He does eventually get to sit in a chair. And while you have this huge expanse of geography and journey in that sense, I love his eyes journeying over the mm-hmm. over the piece. He looks at, at this figure and then that figure. And that's what this book is going to be. The next three parts are, I'm going to consider the younger son, the elder son, and the father. And our eyes are just going to kind of move with now into these different parts of the painting. Right. And that's the journey that's laid out for us. I guess maybe to say journey one more time, we think of the parable of the younger son does go away Mm -hmm. and come back. And as Christians, we speak of our lives as we are on a sort of pilgrimage. Yeah. Right. We are, we're heading towards a heavenly city we're heading towards from exile to home um this is very much our lives as christians is looking for settledness right and all and it's just can't find it right well i love you you use the word pilgrimage i was thinking of that word when you were saying journey because i think that one of the beauties of this book is that you have layers of pilgrimages happening you have you know now own 
uh, pilgrimage journey from actually, you know, moving to see the, the physical painting itself. You have, you know, what you're talking about where he's, he's studying these different parts of the painting at different times of day. So he's on this sort of pilgrimage of just a visual pilgrimage of moving through the, the piece of art. And then you have the actual, you know, story, the return of the prodigal son, you have that pilgrimage journey. And then you've got Rembrandt's story woven in there. So there's just these these layers of journeys and pilgrimages happening at the same time that I think um, just make it such an interesting reflection on the parable. Yeah, and so Chris, uh, how about we move into uh, big questions mm. and maybe we can talk about the you know some answer to them here, but I think this is to encourage our hearers as they contemplate more what now one's bringing up. And as we reflect on the parable and reflect on our Jesus, uh, what are some big questions that come to mind uh, from from this week? So I think one of my big questions is um, one that now one brings up about how how we're loved and the idea of can we allow ourselves to be loved without prerequisites? I think that's a question worth uh, sitting with and thinking about what does that look like for us in our lives to answer that question for ourselves. And it definitely makes me think. If I, if I allow myself to be loved without prerequisites or conditions by God or other people, it's not just, um, not, not just God, but even by my fellow members in the body. And this even goes to why he goes to the arch, right? The kind of get away from the accolades and the pridefulness. How do I, how do I give love in this way and even receive love without that prerequisite you're talking about? Right. Uh, That reminds me on a, on page 16, Uh, First whole paragraph, he says, For many years, I tried to get a glimpse of God by looking carefully at the varieties of human experience, loneliness and love, sorrow and joy, resentment and gratitude, war and peace. I sought to understand the ups and downs of the human soul, to discern there a hunger and thirst that only a God whose name is love could satisfy. One of the great challenges, I think, for us is the ongoing desire for satisfaction. That you're going to get these, these echoes, these resonances, these moments where like, oh, this is so good. And yet it's still going to come up short somehow. Right. That there is, there is a, you know, think of the, the, the God-shaped hole in our heart sort of idea. Or um, there is a satisfaction that only comes from our God whose name is love. And we may, you know, we get echoes of what that love looks like in our lives. But it's, even that is inadequate mm-hmm. to what he will fully bring through his son for us. Right. Any other sort of uh, questions that might come to mind for us and for our hearers? I think it's just helpful to reflect on that and think about the ways that that shows up in our own lives and how that hunger or that sense of coming up short with finding real lasting satisfaction, how that shapes the ways that we behave and the ways that we engage with each other and in, in the body and in church and all of those things. Because I think that if you think about the fact that there's a, there's a whole bunch of people walking around who feel unsatisfied and with a longing, then that is shaping how we're willing to interact with each other. And just thinking about what is the body of Christ supposed to look like when you're dealing with a bunch of, you know, so to speak, sort of broken parts. Like, how does that work? I think another question, Chris, would be, we talked about art for a while, but we encounter the arts. Or even just think about here at at St. John, we have artwork that will shift. But there's also just permanent sorts of art, you know, the the stained glass windows or or the rock or 
And the when you come across a piece of art that's either temporary or permanent, what do you bring with it to that piece of art? You know, now and brought himself to that poster and eventually to the mm-hmm. the, the thing itself in, in St. Petersburg. Uh, what sort of thing do you bring before that encounter with the sort of portal to truth and the portal right. to a picture of, of God and what he's done for us? Well, I mean, I don't know if we, I don't know if we want to get into this, but I think what now and invites is a sort of honesty with ourselves um, about those things, about what are we bringing when we encounter the art? What is, what is the art inviting us to? And then what are we bringing to it ourselves? And then how does that affect how we see it or receive it? Because I think art is so much of the time it's an invitation so how do we receive that invitation that the art is extending to us is going to be filtered through what we bring to the art and how we're showing up to that piece. All right. So what sort of honesty with ourselves mm-hmm. do we bring to Yeah. And that's why I think why now one's nice yeah. for us is he is honest and open about himself. And so often we are reserved. Yes. <laughs> and we get to kind of step into his wounds and pain and help us find that honesty about ourselves too. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then how about, uh, I mean, there's gonna be a lot of good passages from now on in this read. What is a, a quote that you would want to highlight for our hearers um, in our reading? I think for me, my quote for today comes from um, page 17. And I'm, I'm going to back up a little bit from where I was going to read it, where he says, um, when I first saw Rembrandt's painting, I was not as familiar with the home of God within me as I am now. Nevertheless, my intense response to the father's embrace of his son told me that I was desperately searching for that inner place where I too could be held as safely as the young man in the painting. At that, at the time, I did not foresee what it would take to come a few steps closer to that place. I am grateful now. I'm grateful for not having known in advance what God was planning for me, but I am grateful as well for the new place that has been seen and opened in me through all the inner pain. I just, I love that quote of being grateful for the inner pain, because I think that, um, that's not easy to do, but I think that's part of, um, when you think about the scripture was in Thessalonians, like in all things, give thanks, give thanks in all things. I don't think it's that we have to they like, thank you, God, that I'm suffering so much. But at the same time, can we give thanks for the the pain when God shows us places where we're hurting? It just it's a, it, to me that quote just is like a little personal challenge. Can I give thanks for that pain? Yeah, and, and even just to read beyond that a little bit, he says, uh, "I have a new vocation now. It's the vocation to speak and write from that place." back into the many places of my own and other people's restless lives. I have to kneel before the Father, put my ear against his chest, and listen without interruption to the heartbeat of God. And And I've come across this in, in other reading we've done um, in book groups of how do we, how can this, the, this pain, this wound, uh, this struggle or, or sin or whatever it is, how can it also be an opportunity for vocation? Mm-hmm. And not only do I receive the care and support and comfort that I need to endure and to bear this cross, but it's actually an opportunity to serve my neighbor, right? to care for my brother and sister. I mean, now one is opening up wounds for us to serve us. Right. <laughs> and to find that sort of vocation-like quality and is, uh, it's, it's quite powerful. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, of course, rooted in, 
our Savior whose wounds are there for us. Yeah, I think that's where you get those echoes of the wounded healer, you know, that he writes about. Absolutely. Uh, quote for me. Um, how about page 23? I'll just take the last few lines of the, of the chapter. How's that sound? Sounds good. Uh, last paragraph. He says, All that I have lived since my first encounter with the Rembrandt poster has not only given me the inspiration to write this book, but also it su- suggested its structure. I will first reflect upon the younger son, then the elder son, and ultimately upon the father. And here it is. For indeed, I am the younger son. I am the elder son. And I am on my way to becoming the father. And for you who will make this spiritual journey with me, I hope and pray that you too will discover within yourselves not only the lost children of God, but also the compassionate mother and father that is gone. So we see here that now one is going to find identity with younger son, elder son, but even with the father. And um, he's going to point us to Jesus in all these characters too. Um, but that's what's, I, that's why I enjoy this book is you're really going to kind of uh, wade into the waters of each of these characters and how this is all rooted in um, our God who is love for us. A good quote. So for next time, you're going to be uh, through part one, which will be the younger son. And that's through about page 58 in your book. So through part one. And that's chapters, uh, I think it's one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, blessings, everyone, on, on your reading. Uh, to close us out, I have a, a prayer for us uh, related to moving or being on a journey and as we uh, continue our journey through this book. Lord God, you have called your servants to ventures of which we cannot see the ending, by paths as yet untrodden, through perils unknown. Give us faith to go out with good courage, not knowing where we go, but only that your hand is leading us and your love supporting us. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Thanks, Chris. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.